Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. Holiday break is over. Now it's back to work for the NHL. But COVID continues to complicate things as the Flyers head out on a four-game Western road trip with our latest Broadcasters Roundtable. Tim Saunders with Jim Jackson, Bill Meltzer, and Steve Coates. Well, they got a longer break than they had originally intended, but after postponing games just before Christmas, Flyers return to the ice Monday, but not without more challenges. Three more players have been added to the COVID protocol list. Scott Lawton, Derek Broussard, and Carter Hart join Sean Couturier, Ryan Ellis, Kevin Hayes, and Morgan Frost, all absent on Monday. Uh, maybe some good news because it sounds like they may be able to clear both Morgan Frost and Kevin Hayes before they embark on this road trip. But, uh, Jimmy, it's kind of our new world. Everybody's uh, facing this. you just got to deal with it the best you can. Yeah, I'm not sure, Timmy, whether it's our new world or our old world, to be honest with you. It just seems like we're back to, to where we were a year, a year and a half ago, and uh, this kind of drags on. And everybody, of course, at this point, I mean, everybody in the world at this point has COVID fatigue. But uh, it's there and it's raging right now with a new variant. So I, I think we're going to probably, according to what the scientists say, go through a, a tough six to eight week period here where you're going to see a lot of players testing positive. And poor Mike, yo, because, I, I, you know, we went through it, as you just detailed, Timmy, where they're at after practice on Monday. But after practice on Tuesday, it could be completely different because he may lose another player or two. So it's really going to be tough on coaches, on staffs, on teams, on general managers. Obviously, they've implemented new rules now, um, as, as you alluded to, with the CBA and so forth, so that they can have more flexibility with the rosters. But you're going to see a lot of uh, AHL players getting NHL time now, and it's those players that may make some of the plays that determine whether teams are successful or not. So organizational depth is, is really going to be tested throughout the NHL. I believe Minnesota is the only team right now without a player on COVID protocol, um, and they – coincidentally do have the uh, winter classic, but uh, give it time. There's still two or three days. I mean, it's just spreading everywhere. More importantly, we've been able to keep Steve Coates uh, healthy for the most part. I mean, as relatively speaking, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Coatsy, this isn't ideal, but uh, Mike Yo put it uh, the other day. You have to embrace the adversity because there's not much other choice. No, there isn't any other choice. And everybody's in the same boat. Obviously, it's going to hit certain teams more than it's others. But I think that the... Uh, if you look back at last summer, uh, the teams that in, I don't want to use the word embraced, but let's say handled the situation uh, in the bubble were a lot more successful than the ones that didn't. So hopefully the Flyers learn from their experience about the ins and the outs and, and, and knowing that this guy's got COVID and he's going to be out of the lineup and this is going to happen and the coach is going to do this. I think it, it's harder on the coaches, but it's still a circumstance where the team that handles the best could, let's say, be more uh, successful in the long run in this this really strange season. Billy, you go back to when this started two years ago, uh, when they paused it, when the Flyers were in Tampa. I, I, from that point on that year, I don't think anybody was affected more in a negative way than the Flyers were. No, certainly. I mean, the Flyers were on an unbelievable run at the time from I guess the second week in January until the pause. And then, you know, then the playoffs were quite unusual, but I mean, the Flyers did get within a win of the conference final. That was the most unusual playoff circumstance. I mean, we could ever imagine, but then this past season, I mean, the Flyers were hit hard. 
I think we look back at the Lake Tahoe game kind of as a negative turning point in the season, you know, and the, the Flyers were riddled with absences when, when they went there and played. Then again, no excuses. As coaches, everybody's in the same boat, you know, but it uh, kind of from that point on, things really went off the rails after that. And that wasn't the only reason by any means, um, but it certainly, you know, it certainly was kind of a, a one of those one of those dates you can point to to where, you know, things started going south. And I, I and I think Coatey's right. I mean, the Flyers had had to have learned something from in, in terms of how, how to handle it. I mean, there's there's no playbook for it, right? But it's uh, you know, and nobody's going to feel sorry for you. I mean, the Flyers starting this road trip in Seattle. Seattle is right now as as we're recording this down four defensemen. And it's top three and another guy in their top seven. So they're certainly not going to feel bad for the Flyers being down a couple of centers and, and whatnot. It's just it's just a reality. Everybody's going to have to work around it. Well, I'm willing to say that I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on radio. And I know everybody's got their ideas on what they should do, whether it's testing or not testing. But I guess I'm willing to defer to the people that know more about this stuff than I do. It seems like we're going to get it. Uh, you hope that if you're vaccinated, it's uh, minor symptoms, but the league has access to medical experts. They're advising how to keep everybody as safe as possible. I recognize that people smarter than I am are calling the shots and setting the protocols, and I guess I'm okay with that. Is there an alternative? No, I mean, you have to defer to the experts. I'm just looking around the sports landscape. It seems other leagues are relaxing some of the testing protocols, which is is. Is it good? I don't know. That's where, I, as you, Timmy, I defer to the experts, the, the experts being the medical experts, the scientists and so forth. But um, from a league standpoint, it's better because it gives you a chance to, to complete your season. I mean, the NFL is at a point in their season where they cannot have an outbreak where they're losing, you know, three quarters of a team because they're going to have to shut the team down. The playoffs are just around the corner. So they relax and they were the first to do it. Um, they're not testing everybody every day or every even week. they they're testing those who have symptoms and they are randomly testing others. Um, and ironically, when they went to that, they ended up with an increase in the amount of players that tested positive. So that shows you how much this the, the variant is out there. Um, and I don't think it's avoidable no matter how you test. So uh, all teams are going to face shortages. As Bill said, no one's going to feel sorry for anybody because everybody's going through it. Last year it was more like one team and then another team and then another team. This, I see it as, as I think we're in right now, every team is going to be affected pretty much. And so it's basically, again, uh, next man up and rely on those depth players. And hopefully we don't get to the point where so many players are positive and unavailable that you just can't put a team out there. That's what the NHL is trying to avoid with, with the rules they've changed in terms of the taxi squads and, and calling players up. And, and again, the, the one, if you want to call it a positive that the scientists do say is, this is expected to be kind of a short-term thing, six to eight weeks as opposed to five or six months. So if you can get through maybe February into early March, maybe we're starting to see things go the other direction and we'll get back to teams being pretty whole again. But I think for a little while here, we're going to see a lot of rosters just being put together on the fly and you just have to find a way to get it done. You know, it's Jimmy, probably, Jimmy. It, 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 I, I was going to say, Coatsy, your frustration, it's probably apt to point out, you're right, that, on the surface, a lot of people may feel like you did, that how does it make sense to let players during a break go home for Christmas and come back with cases? But that becomes a CBA issue, right, and a Players Association issue, and that's not something that the league can necessarily dictate. Um, first of all, 
to flip back, I think you'd be a hell of a guy. Okay? <laughs> yeah, well, turn your head and cough. <laughs> yeah. You'd have, a, you'd have a little problem with the bedside manner. Yeah, we'll agree to disagree on this one, Coatsy. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to see over the bed. So that's going to be a problem. Nice. But the only question I have is whether it's the CBA, the NHLPA, the National Hockey League, we took a week off. We're all in our areas. We're all in our homes to take a week off to try to get control of the COVID to move forward. And everybody goes out in their, in, in, in their merry way. I don't have the answer. I really don't. I know that there is a problem. I think there's a problem with the difference between the Canadian government, the United States government. There's a, there's a, a problem between states. There's a problem between provinces. We saw that last week in Quebec. Well, we're going to tee it up. I mean, we're going to play a game at five o'clock, and they said nobody in the building. Next day, the Toronto people say we're all going to have half the people in Alberta right now with the World Juniors. We've got half the people. So everybody has a different opinion. Where we're going to go to, I don't know. But the I asked that question. I would just love to know the answer. Where why would you do that when you're trying to get everybody back on the same page, get everybody back playing? and try to protect each other from COVID. Well, well, let's talk, Billy, about what we do know. Um, end result, one of the changes and addendum to the CBA, they're going to allow now for a taxi squad, which they didn't want to do, but it was kind of inevitable because I don't know that they had much choice. Can you explain, uh, describe how that's going to work? Sure. Um, well, teams can carry up to a maximum of six additional players. Every team will carry an extra goalie. Um, the Flyers had that situation at home a week ago where they were scrambling. Uh, and um, Carter Hart at that point had not tested positive. He was just described as ill at the time, and they didn't have a positive test that went with it. But the they had to really scramble for a backup. And they decided on Felix Sandstrom, who really, you know, had, had, hadn't had any practices at that point. He was, just, he was just the closest available body at that point. So you want to be able to have, um, you know, a, a healthy backup goaltender available. I mean, the Flyers are carrying seven defensemen right now. So, you know, they, the concentration has been extra forwards, particularly with, um, you know, particularly with multiple centers who've been out. So they've um, they've been looking at that, but that's going to be fluid. Um, now with the Flyers going on a four-game road trip, they're going to take more bodies along than they might they might carry on the taxi squad when they're back at home again. So, you know, it really who the composition of the taxi squad will be, um, how many may be going along at a given time really depends on, to what the team situation is, but also the geography. Um, the Flyers are, are a, one of the more fortunate teams in that the, uh, when they're close to home and that the farm team, you know, in Allentown is not far away at all. You have some Canadian teams that have their AHL club based in the U S so they basically have to have their full taxi squad with them at all times. So it's, uh, you know, but that's, that's really it's a situation. The NHL did not want to have this year. Um, you end up with players who were, Missing significant some significant amount of time and all that, but it's just it's a necessity because you 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 might end up losing two or three players on a game day, and if your your farm team is across the country, you wouldn't be able to get the bodies you know across the country to have be able to dress a lineup. So that's uh, that's just you know and that was and that, that came together pretty quickly. I mean they were able to, to get that uh, into uh, you know into the procedures relatively quickly as, as the outbreak has been going on. So that, that's something that at least pretends well to being able to dress, 
you know, a, a full lineup, a relatively full lineup. All right. So we've addressed the COVID stuff because we had to. There was no other choice. Jimmy's right. This is a thing that's going to potentially change by the day, by the hour. So you're going to have to roll with it and deal with the changes as they happen. Let's talk about the hockey club because a lot has happened since we last did one of these. I don't think any of us would have predicted before Christmas a head coaching change that Mike Yo would replace Elaine Vigneau as the interim head coach. So far, it looks like they've started to turn the tables a little bit and build maybe some momentum, at least going in the right direction. Uh, I do like Yo's approach, and that is, uh, you know, that we're going to get out of this with hard work and no excuses. It's work ethic and no excuses. And otherwise, you're just going to wallow in this. Yeah, I like his approach um, in its totality, really. And and I mean, I feel bad because he's he gets he gets the the, the interim job, and then all this happens with COVID. So it's obviously making it difficult to implement anything when you've got players in and out of the lineup. But he stays with with stays the course. Um, and and I, you know, I think eventually uh, he'll get that to that point. I mean. I, Let's be honest. I mean, as you said, Timmy, none of us saw this coming. Um, and I don't think Elaine Vino was the problem uh, by any stretch of the imagination. They had a very difficult schedule in terms of who they were playing. And once things started to slip, it's tough when you're playing top five, top six teams, one after another, to kind of grab a hold of something when you're starting to slip. And they just kept slipping and, it, you know, it went down. And then Chuck Fletcher almost had to make a move. Um, and then the schedule kind of lightened up. And let's face it, the five games in which they went 4-0-1 were not against the same kind of competition in which they went 10 games without a win. So the schedule did, I think, have something to do with, with both streaks. Uh, but for Mike, it's good because he's been able to get a couple wins. Uh, the players listen a little bit more when they see some success coming off of what you're preaching. Um, and, and I think eventually he will have a good approach with this team and maybe a, you know, a little bit less dump and chase and and, and just subtle changes. I mean, I like the fact that he was willing to take some chances, move Oscar Lindblom up and some other personnel changes and uh, just little more tweaks, I would say, than, than overhaul. But but they worked. They won. And, and so everyone thinks that, hey, it's, it's a positive effect. And, and we'll see as the schedule gets rough again. But uh, maybe we won't right away because, as we've talked about, it's going to be so haphazard as to what the lineup will be right now. It's basically, he's kind of the captain of a ship that's in a, in a real rough waters as are almost all the NHL ships because of COVID. And you just have to kind of get through it and gather points and stay alive. Because as we've talked about before, the race in the East for playoff spots is, is tough. It's, it's going to be tough to make the playoffs. Well, um, you know, I know players have been through this before. I mean, most anybody that played the game, has been on a team that has struggled, that has gone through a coaching change uh, that will get your attention. But as we've talked about in our uh, radio broadcast, Jimmy, I, I assume you guys have as well on the TV side, it's more about playing as five-man units out there because before the coaching change, boy, that just wasn't happening. Uh, Coatsy, I think you identified that early on, that they were playing as individuals and not as a team. Well, I think the number one thing that you saw was their ability not to defend. Uh, any of the teams that we played against that were very strong in attacking the blue line, and I, I'll use Florida and Carolina and Tampa as examples when they hit that blue line, they can just dazzle you if you're not in the right spot doing the right things. And we were absolutely just totally outplayed in that circumstance. The other thing that bothered me was that when we do attack the far blue line, at that time, we were doing it with minimal people. 
uh, altered other teams were using line rushes to try to attack our blue line, we'd be lucky to have two guys up there. It just seemed like nobody was on the same page. And I think if you've watched the last few games, Mike Yo's done a better job of, of, of having his five guys in his own zone do a good job, five guys in the neutral zone do a good job, and be a little bit more supportive in the offensive zone. It's one thing to be forechecking, but if the guy's in forecheck and all of a sudden he turns around, he's all by himself fighting off two guys, that ain't going to work too often. It's going to be in and out, in and out, in and out. And those are the things that you talk about being five on five, where you can play successfully by by understanding what everybody has to do on the ice while you're there. Everybody has a job to do. And it's not a matter of just, well, I did that because the video says I can, I just have to go up and down my wing. No, that's not what it's about. And I think Mike Yo and his staff will do a better job of, of getting this into the heads of the players. Billy, I don't want to second guess anybody, and I'm not second guessing Elaine Vigneault. The one change, though, that Mike made almost immediately that I was surprised hadn't happened before that was moving Claude Giroux back into the middle. We all know his numbers have been better on the wing, but going through what they're going through, it's allowed he and Cam Atkinson to play together, and maybe they're starting to develop some chemistry there. Yeah, and and uh, before before Morgan Frost went out with COVID, I thought, I thought it was a trio, even though it's a small line, um, they were creating some turnovers, which was something we weren't, you know, during, during that long stretch of two months where the Flyers weren't scoring. I mean, they, you know, they hardly, they hardly had, they hardly played with short ice. It seems like they had to go 200 feet all the time. Um, you know, they were, they were creating some turnovers in the offensive zone, but also in the neutral zone too. So they're able to, they're able to attack. And, it, and a lot of it is, you know, not just that particular line, but it is, it comes down to the five man units. But I think that, uh, you know, the uptick we've seen in scoring has been a result of that. And even going up the ice too, you know, they would try so many stretch passes that just were not working and in simplifying that to the, to the five to 10 foot pass has made a significant difference just in terms of, you know, protecting the puck and being able to get up ice with it. And uh, it was a necessity, I think, to, to get Giroux back, back, back in the middle for you know for at least for the time being. Even though you know he may prefer and be more effective in the long run being, being a winger at this point, just because they, they have been caught short in the middle, and and Sean Couturier even before his current situation was definitely going through some uncharacteristic struggles, and Kevin Hayes was was just back from the lineup, and while Morgan Frost has been mostly a center in his career, he's still inexperienced and, and unproven is working on areas of his game. So there really was no other, there's really another viable option. There wasn't anybody to call up and it was just something that I think had to be done. Um, let, let me throw this out to everybody. Have all three of you guys uh, touch on this because the obvious question after a coaching change is who's going to benefit the most from a change. Now, if you get the team playing better, the obvious answer to that question is your goaltender because he's been the least of their problems. He was keeping them in games, and now he's got a better squad theoretically in front of him. But a guy like Oscar Lindblom, Jimmy, to me, stands out as, as a guy that not only is going to get more ice time, but lately here has been earning it. He has, and you know, I, I've always thought that Oscar, if you were playing him on the fourth line, might as well not play um, because he is a, a – complimentary player in every sense. He can really make a good player better. I don't think he can carry a line by himself. So uh, if you're not playing him with top line players, I don't think that, that there's really a spot for him in the lineup. So was so happy to see that. And, and Oscar had other opportunities, not to say that Elaine Vigneault didn't do that. Elaine Vigneault gave him a lot of opportunities along those lines, 
But this particular time, Oscar really took advantage of it. His play was coming around and all those little things that he does and all, we're back to where the players want to play with him because he's one of those guys who does all the dirty work on a line and he's so smart. We're seeing all that again. And it's a great, great sight for sure. And, and I do, I really do look forward to Morgan Frost getting back because I want to see if Yo's influence on him is positive too. Um, you know, he's hopefully coming back soon here uh, from the COVID. And, and I think that's another player to watch as, as, as to a player that might have a real good uh, reaction to, to the, uh, the coaching move. So, and this isn't to say that Oscar didn't like uh, AV or Morgan didn't, it's just a different voice. Sometimes just helps other players. There might be other players who don't play as well, who knows, but at this point, Oscar would be at the top of that list. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how Morgan Frost reacts as well. Colty, what do you think? Anybody stick out to you as likely to benefit from this change? Well, one thing that I would like to see is the players that aren't used enough on the power play have give more opportunity and have accountability on the power play where we're just not shuffling the same people out there every shift to get the same results. Every one of these guys at one time in their career played power play. Doesn't matter where it was. They played power play. So you get to this level. Yeah, there's good players. There's better players. They're going to play on the power play. But if they're not successful, that doesn't mean that they have to be out there all the time. They're going to go through droughts. So what I'm saying is that with Yo coming in, I saw some changes already where all of a sudden a little change here, a little change there because things weren't done properly. And I think that's where you see players uh, benefit because now they're being rewarded for what they can do. You get rewarded to play on the, on the power play. That's a, uh, that's a bonus. It's just not a, a right to just jump over the boards every time. And I think that that's where you're going to see the change, especially with opportunity and accountability on the power play with the players that get a chance that they wouldn't have normally. Billy, I'll let you wrap this segment up. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, one name that came to mind at first was Cam Atkinson, just because he had started out the year on fire, had a long drought in the middle, and and you know was been scoring again when when the uh, the premature break set in, I guess. Uh, but I'm, but I'm going to go a little different direction. I'm going to say uh, Travis Sanheim, just because I think Sanheim was wrapping up his play even into the break. Um, really, some of the best hockey we'd seen. Going, going back to the 2019-20 season, I thought over over an extended period of time, um, you know, with a, with a kind of a clean slate and uh, a guy who's familiar with who had been a defensive coach, I, I think Travis has an opportunity to, to run with that on the other side of this and, uh, you know, hopefully continue to build off of what he had done. So I think there's a great opportunity for him there. Guys, uh, we'll do another one of these after the road trip. They've got four games coming up out west. Starting in Seattle, then it's on to San Jose, L.A., and Anaheim. Maybe Chuck Fletcher will have a better idea of just who his team is at that point once they come home. With our latest broadcasters roundtable for Jim Jackson, Steve Coates, Bill Meltzer, I'm Tim Saunders. Enjoy the games. The preceding program is an original production of the Flyers Broadcast Network. You can find this and other programs available on demand at flyersbroadcastnetwork.com.